Hi, this is Sean Byrne, writer-director of The Devil's Candy, and this is Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 135, another one of our Frankensteinian episodes, where we talk about whatever the hell we want, as long as it pertains to horror. <laughs> and on Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcast casting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker, from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh, and good evening. <laughs> good evening to you, sir. We're very excited to be here, obviously. This is, uh, I think, next to October. I don't know, honestly, which is Josh's favorite month of the year, because we love October for Halloween, obviously. But I believe Josh's all-time favorite episode of the year is the Christmas horror episode, which we do annually. Right, Josh? For sure. 100%. It's my favorite of the year. I love Christmas horror movies. Yes, you do. I always get excited. And we've actually got one of those episodes planned here in the upcoming show, right? Do you want to tell him about that? Sure. Yeah, we've got a good Christmas episode coming up where you're going to review Better Watch Out in full. You know, we did do it at the live show. But we didn't do a very in-depth review because we had the filmmaker there. We will have the filmmaker joining us again, but not as part of the review. We'll do an interview with Chris Peck over and talk about all of the things we didn't talk about. We'll do some spoilers, I guess, mm-hmm. discussion, which should be fun. And then we're going to have another Christmas movie, as yet, secret. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> nice. Undecided, but yeah. No, I'm excited about the Christmas episode. I, you know, and the one of your favorite episodes is coming right thereafter. Mm-hmm. If I'm not mistaken. Oh yeah, my all-time favorite of the year is our uh, top ten horror movies of of the year. This year it's 2017, obviously, and so that we're going to be recording that on January 3rd as our schedule works out, and so that should be released on January 5th, the first Friday in January. Not messing around. So and very early in the year, our first kind of episode of the year is going to be winter with the King, with Stephen King. And we're going to talk about all of his winter based films that we've never feature reviewed on the show, which I'm super excited about that too. The Shining and Storm of the Century and Misery and Dreamcatcher. Oh, yeah. I'm pumped about but Yeah, We've that. got a lot of giveaways coming up on our Christmas episode. And if you want to stick around to the end, we'll give all of the official rules. If you want to win something on the next episode, you have to do a little bit of tweeting and things like that before that episode so stick around and listen but got some cool stuff to give away fright rags t-shirt to give away hopefully a scream factory blu-ray we've got some dvds and blu-rays to give away and all kinds of cool stuff so mm-hmm. stick around to the end of this episode to get the official rules yes and i guess one other rule-based type thing i'll mention about the top 10 show We love to have the listeners contribute their top 10 lists. And uh, so our our deadline for that this year is going to be uh, Wednesday, December 27th. 
Okay, so just send those to us. I'm going to have in the show notes. I thought I'd make life a little bit easier this year and kind of do a template for people to use so I can tally and extract that information far simpler. So anyway, I won't take a time with that here, but check the show notes. And the deadline is December 27th. We're not messing around, are we, Dave? No, not at all. And I got to get serious. I'm better off this year than I was last year. Mm -hmm. Because this year, I at least have a top five uh, (laughs) already. Whereas last year, I I don't know that I had a top any. I don't know that I saw. I think most of the movies that had made my top 10, I'd only seen two or three of them by this point last year. So I'm in much better shape this year, but uh, I still have a ways to go. I still have quite a few movies I want to see before I can, um, you know, put that list to bed. Mm -hmm. Man, I have seen so many good movies this year. I can't wait to do my list. Now, they're not all horror, obviously, but I was looking at my all genres list that I've been compiling on Letterboxd. I'm really happy with like my top 38 movies. I would be all I would be happy with any of those being my top 10. (laughs) Holy cow. You know, across all genres. But yeah, I mean, I've seen some really good stuff. Well, I'm really excited. In that case, I've seen some good things recently too. Yeah, it's been it's been a good year. It really has so far, and I have I still have a lot more to go. Mm-hmm. Same, same here. But yeah, Josh, I've been excited about hearing your end of the year list, and I just want to put this out there. Uh, of of course, Josh is going to be featured on a horror movie podcast here, but you are welcome to join us over on Movie Podcast Weekly if you wish as a host emeritus. If you would like to, um, you know, cover all genres, top 10 over there with us. I I haven't seen that many across. I mean, I think it would still be pretty horror heavy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would, I'll, I'll I'll think about that based on, you know, totally up to you turn out because, because what I respect about Josh, everybody is he would also want to be careful about not, you know, doing duplicate content. He wouldn't reveal his horror list for this show over on MPW. That's something I know about you, right, Josh? Or not? Do I not yeah, no, know that? <laughs> no, I mean, I know. Well, I, you know, I've I've fluctuated over the years because in years past, I've combined documentary and horror and all genres in my list. And then other years I've said, well, let's separate documentary from fictional films. And I don't know. I'm always kind of in flux about how I feel about them. Gotcha. And then before we uh, jump into some reviews, uh, you also want to talk about some patron casts, right? I just wanted to make sure that everyone was aware of them. We usually talk about them at the end of the show, and we've got some great holiday content. One of those was we did our kind of obscure, not necessarily obscure, but non-traditional holiday films episode. And it was Peter and Joel from Retro Movie Geek, myself and Matroid from the Sci-Fi Podcast. Each of us listed our top five non-traditional Christmas movies. And then we talked about some of the other big movies that are, you know, that weren't on our lists. And it was a lot of fun. And I would recommend there were a lot of horror movies on that list. And I'd recommend people check that out for sure. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's very inexpensive to become a patron of Movie Podcast Network. And you don't do it for the bonus content. You do it to support all these shows that give you hundreds of hours of free content. But there is good content every month. I, I'm pretty pleased with our output on those bonus episodes. We've done mm-hmm. some really cool horror episodes over there as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The the top ten kills, um, and the movie posters, which I know some of us did all genres, and but Jay, you had done horror. Yes, and yeah. Kyle, um, Kyle Bishop yeah, as well. Kyle, and it is right. Kyle Bishop also had done horror. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff over there. Yeah, yeah, and there's more to come as well. And 2018 that's for certain 
But uh, so since this is a Frankensteinian show, I, I freaking love this stuff because we can just go into whatever we want to talk about as far as horror movies. And I understand uh, Wolfman Josh has a couple of micro reviews here for us, right, Josh? Well, I just wanted to throw out a couple of films that came up during that conversation of non-traditional holiday films that I ended up watching. You know, uh, films that got thrown around during that time were Terror Train, which is a, a New Year's Eve movie. Mm-hmm. and the mutilator which is a, a fall break movie as we talked about <laughs> on our thanksgiving episode mm-hmm. and um Curtain. curtains which kind of takes place in the winter and it's a little ice skating scene and everything <laughs> and so i was able to catch up with those over my thanksgiving break you know inspired by that conversation we had on movie podcast network and our thanksgiving episode that we did here on horror movie podcast i kind of caught up with some of those it was just fun to rewatch those i think they're all streaming if you have amazon prime for free right now mm-hmm. if I'm, I'm i don't think oh, i'm mistaken nice. about that and the mutilator is one that's been hard to get your hands on so yes. um, it, that's one i would absolutely recommend people check out on uh, amazon prime you know like Blood Rage, which we reviewed on our Thanksgiving episode. The Mutilator is another one of those kind of lost 80s slashers that not a lot of people have seen. There is an Arrow Blu-ray for it. I do own it, and it's really good. I mean, Arrow is just great with with their content and and by putting out out these sort of movies and with the bonus content that they give you, and it's it's excellent. Um, So if if you're so inclined to pick it up, I do recommend the Arrow Blu-ray. But if it's free, if it's streaming free on Amazon, that's that's great. That's absolutely yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. Definitely a good place to check it out and see if it's up your alley. And, and Josh, upon revisiting curtains, isn't that so freaky when the killer makes that noise, that hmm noise? <laughs> like, <isn't> yeah. It? <laughs> it's just, I, I mean, that just really like, gets to me. It gets under my skin. Yeah. <laughs> and the mask is terrifying. I will say yes. that movie has a lot more slow moments than I remembered. So I will say, Sal, yes, I, I do agree with you that that does drag at times but man the scary moments are terrifying Mm -hmm. there's some awesome scenes (laughs) there's a lot of um actors in the film playing actors and there's some interesting scenes where they're dealing with creating character and that are just really creepy (laughs) (laughs) that i think people could enjoy but yeah yeah i mean it's a it's a classic i mean terror train for me is one of my favorite 80 slashers and so if you haven't seen that i would highly recommend you watch it this season like i said it's a new year's eve film and it's available on amazon prime jamie lee curtis the scream queen's in it so it's a must see i'm just certain that one day josh you're gonna make a film set on a train that's that's just that's one of your favorite things i think <laughs> one of my faves absolutely <laughs> Yeah, you know what we should do, Dave, for uh, Josh's like 25-year wedding anniversary? Mm-hmm. We should pay for um, Josh and his wife to go on a little uh, mystery train dinner theater ride where somebody's well, that'd be fun. killed on the train. <laughs> yeah. Like, he would love that. Mm-hmm. So we, we talked about this on Movie Podcast Weekly when I went over there to review Murder on the Orient Express with you guys, but... My wife was actually convinced, like, hey, I'll, let's go on the murder, or not on the murder, let's go on the Orient Express, you know? <laughs> yeah, but Andy looked it up for us, and unfortunately, it's no longer running, or else I would be there. Mm-hmm. Right? Andy is cool. a, a spoiler of fun like that, so yes. <laughs> that's true. 
All right. Well, uh, I've been very excited uh, to talk about our uh, first feature review with you guys. So uh, we're going to move into our feature review of Hell House LLC. There it is. There it is. There it is. Here we go. What was that? I don't know. You have heard the rumors about this. There are no rumors about this place. place. No rumors. We talked about this. It's supposed to be haunted. All right, dude, lock me in. Godspeed. Hey, man. How many freaks did we have? Three freaks. Oh, it's gone. Are you sure? Let me out. Let me out, Charlie. What happened that night at the Abaddon Hotel? Okay, so just to give people a little bit of context on this, if you'll recall, uh, Michael Steinberg of foundfootagecritic.com, he's our guest way back on uh, episode 64, our found footage episode. He has started a new company that's called uh, POV Horror, and it's a distribution and production company for found footage films. And so, uh, side note there, apparently, Michael really loves found footage, right? I mean, like, oh, this is... have you been to his yeah. website? It's yeah. incredible. It is incredible. It's, it's he, amazing. And he's, and he's got a Twitter account and, and that's really cool. And yeah, he's got, a, he's got, he's, I would say he's the, the expert mm-hmm. um, at oh. found footage. If, if, if there, if there ever was one, he's definitely it. Agreed. Well, him and the guy who made Be My Cat, I feel like they would be best friends. Oh yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you I don't know if you've been to his website, but he has a no. whole yeah, he has written this giant essay about found footage and his beliefs about how it should work. Oh incredible. Nice. Interesting. Yeah. So for those listeners out there who appreciate found footage, as I do, for example, I mean like uh yeah, Michael Steinberg is your guy, and and I think that he's perhaps the biggest found footage fan that I know of. But anyways, what he has here is the the world's only found footage streaming channel, and it's on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, and Android devices, and they're expanding it over to Apple TV and Chromecast. They currently have 60 films that are licensed for the platform, and then another 20 films where they control the international distribution rights. So this is very impressive. Mm. You put all this together. Yeah. And so what they're doing here, just going forward, what they're going to do is they're going to acquire the rights to older found footage films that they felt had promise, but not the polish. And so they're fixing those up. They're adding some CGI where necessary, helping fix audio issues, which we all know are somewhat common to found footage and just, kind of giving them a new life all the way around. So Hell House LLC here, this was at festivals back in 2015, and it was available pretty widely in 2016. And then what they did is they took this film and helped the filmmaker realize the vision it had for the film because they right. needed to complete some green screen shots that were originally unused because of some budget restrictions and so forth. And so what we're going to be talking about tonight specifically is the horror POV exclusive director's cut DVD of this. And it's only available right now through found footage critic and POV horror as far as we know. And like the other yeah, versions. It's actually hellhousellc.com. Oh, Hell House. Okay, gotcha. So that's where it is. And then, you know, there may be other versions out there that you might find, for example, online, but they're not the director's cut. And so our understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, 
our understanding that this is basically the film as closely as possible as the filmmaker intended. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. Yeah. yeah like it's on Amazon to stream for instance, but I, you know, yeah, this DVD is the only place that the director's cut exists and that has the additional CGI, like you said, and yes, some yeah. different audio mixing. That's right. Yeah. So obviously it's found footage film. It's written and directed by Stephen Cognetti. And uh, just give you a quick little premise here. No spoilers, of course. So it's five years after an unexplained malfunction or some mysterious event happens at this haunted house on Halloween night and a bunch of people die, right? It's opening night of the haunted house. And so a documentary crew is kind of returning back to the scene to, you know, film this little documentary about it and try to investigate what actually happened. That's really the gist of what the premise is. I think you got it. Yeah. So we have a found footage film here, first of all, and something we always like to note is that this is a found footage film that is like Halloween night based, which we like, right? It's only Uh one of three, I believe, Halloween based found footage movies, which is kind of crazy. (laughs) Oh, you put deep cuts trivia there, Josh. I'm impressed. Yeah, well, you could count, if you count the scenes from Stranger Things season two, which it has kind of a found footage Halloween moment in the movie that features Michael Myers and the Ghostbusters, actually, (laughs) funnily enough. Um, Other than that, there is uh, the house's October built and the trick or treaters, I believe are the only two other found footage Halloween films. Nice. Wow. Wow, That is, that's interesting. Yeah. I'm surprised there aren't more because it seems to me, and this is just my two cents, it seems to me that um, a horror filmmaker, you know, more horror filmmakers would make like horror films that are set on Halloween specifically or maybe other holidays. I know we've talked about this before, but maybe maybe they're intimidated. I don't know. Maybe they're intimidated by making a film set on Halloween because of, you know, Carpenter's film and they feel like, yeah, I don't want to be a poser you know, or be compared to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right, so yeah. maybe that's what it is. Beat that one. Right, right. Yeah. So, anyways, we we like we said in our Thanksgiving episode, we think there is um, hella money to be made <laughs> by by creating a horror film based on these holidays. Because then yeah. every time the holiday rolls around, every horror podcast—I mean, everybody's talking about it. Just saying. You know, anyways. I'll give you the perfect example. As we record this, last night was Krampusnacht. Oh. Right? So, yes. I, you know, Krampus is a movie that when we re- initially reviewed it, Jay said avoid it. <laughs> and I, I think I gave it, a, you know, instead of rental or something like that. It's one I now own and I watch every year because mm-hmm. it's wow. Krampusnacht. What else are you going to do? You know? <laughs> but And it's definitely my favorite Krampus movie that exists. I mean, I, you know. I guess I like rare exports quite a bit too, but right. I mean, this is the go-to Krampus movie. Yes, that's true. But what you could have viewed, because last night was December 5th, right? What you could have viewed instead <laughs> was Saint from 2010, which is about... I like this better than Scent. Yeah, yes. I like Krampus better, better than Scent. So. Yeah, well, not, not, not quality me. quality film. I don't know. I mean, this is you know, Saint Saint. Hey, Chris, Christmas Christmas Horror Story has a Krampus story in there. That's true. That's true. I mean, we 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 did our 
Camp Krampus Christmas two years ago. That's right. Um, where we reviewed reviewed all three of those films. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes, in fact. So so we we definitely have December fifth covered, and, and I also yeah. feel like we have December twenty third covered pretty well. As, you know, pretty well too. <laughs> Just saying. Anyways, um, sorry, the listeners are probably thoroughly annoyed. But back to Hell House LLC. Uh, the the first thing I want to say about this movie and just pose this to you guys is I think it's very cool when you have a a horror film whose premise is involved you know with haunted house stuff because what's neat is there is haunted house level horror like there are the gimmicks and the the dolls or the the actors or the animatronics or whatever it is within the the haunted house. And that's like scary to the people walking through on some level, not really to us. But then they get to go a level deeper in a film like this and make something like truly horrifying, like real monsters happening of some sort, you know. And and that, so that's one thing I think it's fascinating about this film that I really enjoyed. What say you guys? I I definitely agree, and I, and I think I liked how they sort of incorporated those cheesy sort of dummies and dolls uh, mm-hmm. into the horror actually uh, as well. Um, and some of those scenes I thought were, were very effective uh, where they did that, you know, you go into a lot of these haunted houses and we had one in um, local here in Pottstown, you know, it was associated with a pizza place. It was funny because you, if you went in and, and bought a large pizza, you got a percentage off the haunted house that they set up in the back. Um, <laughs> and they always did a really good job with it. You know, you'd go in there and, and, you know, there was, but it was a lot of things like, you know, they, they would have um, actors walking around. And one of the real interesting things they did was they had actors behind the walls. So if they heard you call out someone's name, they would follow you through and, and call out that person's name, you know, mm-hmm. throughout the rest of it, which was kind of creepy. Amazing. Um, but, but a lot of them, you know, you have the dummies hanging there. And, you know, you go, you go to the ones I know, especially down at the Jersey Shore when they have these haunted rides, most of them are just these uh, extremely fake looking dummies sitting around or hanging around or whatever it is they're doing. But this movie actually brings them into, um, the horror, um, and incorporates them in that. And I, I did like how that, how it, uh, how it did that. Well said. Agreed. And, and to me, just for my money, just saying, I think it's genuinely, uh, creepy at times. Like actually, um, actually scary for me, but what say you Wolfman? Did you, do you like the haunted house element? No. Yeah, absolutely. I grew oh. <laughs> up going to these haunted houses and these were my favorite things to do as a kid. I mean, uh, you know, every Halloween, this would this is what me and my friends would do. I mean, definitely for probably like fourth grade on, we mm-hmm. would go line up, go to these terrifying haunted houses or, you know, a lot of people call them haunted trails or just haunts. But where I where I come from, it was haunted houses. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I love those. And I actually worked at one when I was in high school. I'm sure I've talked about this on the show before. But I worked at one in Utah called the Haunted Forest, which was a blast to work at. I worked, at, I worked there probably three different Halloweens. And then there's another crazy one that used to be in Provo, Utah, when I was in high school that has since closed but it was at the state mental hospital mm-hmm. and it was at this old kind of abandoned castle structure behind the mental hospital and they would have the doctors and the patients where the workers 
you know, the actors in the thing. So there was extra meta level of terror knowing that the mental patients are the people with the chainsaws. And oh man. Things. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's, it that seems was like that was always scary. That is crazy. <laughs> it, it seems like there should be some kind of state code that would have <laughs> prohibited. I, I, I don't know, yeah. just because like, exploitation or, or endangerment to the, you know, those who are maybe it was therapy. Maybe, maybe. I'm sure they enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And then and then uh, you know we've all been to some that have. I mean, we uh, you my kids were in the Scouts. We went on a haunted hayride. Um, and it was yeah. kind of creepy going out there because there's no lights. You're just going out to the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and y- you get out there, but while we were on the haunted hayride, I guess we had caught uh, the Grim Reaper at a bad time because he was taking a leak as we were driving by. <laughs> <laughs> He's the Grim Peer. Well, you know, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Sorry, what's that? Uh, it was terrible. It wasn't even worth it. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> I caught it, Jay. I caught it, Jay. And yeah, you don't want to repeat that one. Okay. Don't, don't even bother. Uh, I was- <laughs> <laughs> just just working here go ahead no the hayride thing reminds me of that film a, a few years ago called the Bates haunting do you remember that it was one of those red box movies <laughs> that i rented and yeah. i rented it because it's called the Bates haunting what's this right. all about yeah but it was at a haunted hayride is where it took place well and um mm-hmm. I, yeah Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I got all excited because, yeah, there's another film called Hayride from 2012. A lot of people, um, you know, were kind of hard on that movie because it's so low budget, but I actually really enjoy that movie. There's Hayride 2, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm very curious about. But, yeah, same kind of thing where it's like the the haunted Halloween thing is happening, but also actual deaths are happening as well. So, Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great idea for a movie setting is what I was kind of trying to work up to say. I think yes. the problem with a lot of these films is they don't have great actors or budget. We've got this awesome free location. So there are all these possibilities. It's just unfortunately, you know, the budgets and, and professionalism weren't there to make really great movies, in my opinion. I think what, you know, Hell House LLC does is it actually pulls off a scary movie. <laughs> in this location. So in some ways mm-hmm. it's kind of the best film that takes place in a haunt that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that confused me about it at first now, I, I don't know. Are you guys familiar with the documentary hell house from 2001? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I had avoided this hell house. I'll see because I just thought it was something to do with that documentary, which the documentary was fine, but I was like, well, I've seen this. I'm not going to watch it again. And that is about a, phenomenon in the south where there are these evangelical as it says here on imdb fright fests where basically they do these grisly skits to demonstrate the consequences of things that they disagree with like homosexuality abortion drug use and the haunted house is set up with these morality tales um and the and wow the original yeah the original was in Dallas and it was called Hell House. But then, you know, later there would be like these parody Hell Houses like in Brooklyn where they do the exact same thing, but they're making fun of, of it. So it's really weird. <laughs> but if you ever want to see that documentary, it's pretty disturbing, actually. And it's called mm-hmm. Hell House from 2001. So anyway, I had confused these films and I didn't get around to watching Hell House, Hell, Hell House LLC. 
until now. Mm-hmm. And as I talked to some of the listeners about it, a lot of our listeners had seen it and enjoyed it. Dino quite liked it. Um, Mark, I, I think, liked it okay. And Ian West liked it, you know, and so I'd heard good things from the community, but I don't think any of them had seen this director's cut. So mm-hmm. I was I was really excited to to jump into this. And I yeah, I did get back to your very initial original question. I think the setting added a lot, and they actually shot it at a real haunt, this place called the Waldorf Estate of Fear. And that's in Pennsylvania, Dave, in Layton, Pennsylvania. Okay. Hmm. And, that does um, a lot. There's a lot of creepy things in Pennsylvania, and that's <laughs> down my way for some reason. I don't know why, but and and, and but yeah, the, mm-hmm. this is a real haunt. And so um, you can, if you like this movie, you can actually have the experience and go to this real place. Wow. Nice. I, I bet it, it'll probably, you know, boost business there a little bit for that haunt. Yeah. Definitely. But, I think so. So, uh, okay. So, Josh, the other thing I wanted to ask you, well, actually, I have two specific questions for you regarding this film. Number one, um, this is largely a mystery because, like, something went down on that Halloween night in 2009 and people died, and it's very unclear. And so, there's a lot of like, it's kind of an investigation type documentary, faux documentary, of course. It's like, what really happened? Why did these people die? And so there's mystery surrounding it. And there's the whole documentary element where you've got talking heads and so forth. And so how did you, as an expert at kind of both of those things, honestly, as a documentary filmmaker and a mystery connoisseur, how did you think the film handled those two aspects? Pretty well. I mean, I think in some ways the documentary stuff was my favorite I felt like the actors that they had hired to be the subjects of the documentary were the best actors in the movie. Mm-hmm. There's a photographer, kind of a journalist who's in the beginning and he was so believable to me. I, this mm-hmm. guy's a real guy. This is a real documentary interview. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really believed him mm-hmm. and I felt like the other guy, although he was a little more theatrical, he felt like the kind of guy that would be in this type of documentary. <laughs> and so right. I thought these, this is perfect. <laughs> I still have never seen a haunted or a found footage film that's really gotten documentary right. I think this is close in a lot of ways. But, you know, like you say, this is in the format of a mystery doc. And if you look at a real mystery doc, something like The Keepers that's been on Netflix is maybe the best recent example of something like this or The Jinx from HBO. This doesn't go as far in, you know, in that documentary style storytelling Mm -hmm. because which is fine ultimately this is a found footage movie and so they want to live in the found footage they don't really want to live in the format of the documentary which i can understand but someday i would like to see a really great faux documentary um that doesn't just you know live in the found footage i think it would be interesting to see them construct it the way a real documentary would be constructed with limited found footage but then it just turned out to be false you know right but anyway they, they did it pretty well i think it, it doesn't feel like i said it doesn't feel like it goes the length to the lengths a real documentary would um i like that this format is my favorite kind of found footage format i mean if you can do the we found these tapes in the woods <laughs> style that's great and mm. and if you can really pull that off you know i, I just feel like this is a stronger <laughs> presentation 
and even though this film does have a, um, a here's a bag of tapes moment, even though it has that kind of thing, what's cool is I think that the documentary aspect, they actually pull in various pieces of media. For example, like there's a there's a person in the walkthrough on the night of the, the actual murders who, you know, they, they show some of that person's footage and then they show something that's on uh, a YouTube um, which I won't mm-hmm. go into because that's kind of a nice little surprise. I really loved that idea. It was and like a news clip. And yeah. they do that mm-hmm. pretty convincingly for a low budget film. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like th- I feel like they really knew what they were doing when they put the movie together. Like they really, um, it it felt very well planned. I think I like from a filmmaking perspective, mm-hmm. I was really impressed with the level of detail with say the news footage and everything. Yeah. Because right. we'll even see big budget Hollywood movies that does it doesn't feel like you're really watching the news, you know? <laughs> sure, that's true. true. Yeah, but like like for example, something that uh, found footage films, and this is this is endlessly fascinating to me. This is probably a nuance that people you know might feel as more of a nitpicky thing, but I love how a lot of times like these found footage type films will not have um, any real type of soundtrack unless they want to like put in like some sort of jump scare maybe but like for example one thing that i didn't like was like in the beginning of like romero's uh what, what was it Di- survival of the dead diary of the dead Di- diary, diary the sorry dead, yes that's yeah. right sorry about that diary of the dead um <laughs> they actually had a he actually had a character say and we when we put this footage together we put music to make it more creepy. And it's like, no, nah, that's that's dumb. Like your friends died <laughs> and you're putting a soundtrack to yeah, it yeah, to exactly, make it creepier. Right. Like that. Nah, and I the don't... minute it's like within what two a minute after it's uploaded, they have a million views oh. or something like that. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's right. I will say, you know, I think people are very hard on found footage movies that include music. And I think if you were making a documentary, watch any documentary. There's music, like there's score. I understand True. if again you're finding tapes in the woods, mm-hmm. but you know a lot of documentaries. I mean, I can't. Even, it's I could. I have a hard time even thinking of a documentary that doesn't have a legitimate musical score. See, I you know I agree with that. Now, what I was going to say with this film, Hell House LLC. Um, if for the most part, there, there's not a lot of music that I noticed, but then when like early on in the film, when they want to, um, kind of incite within you a creepy moment, they pull in the non-diegetic, like a low, um, creepy music comes in that's not yeah, within the, <laughs> but, but see, even though it is kind of a cheat, I love it because it's like, oh, this is a cue. It's an emotional cue for me, the viewer, to know that this is going to be creepy and it's affecting me, you know? So it has a couple of those and it, and it really did work on me. So I like that. I would say those would normally bother me. But again, we, we're living in a world of a faux documentary. If I'm cutting to news footage and cutting to an interview with a documentary subject, I think it's fair game, you mm-hmm. know, and, and. And I have more of a problem with it if we're watching Paranormal Activity and there's a big low rumble. I still like it, but, you know, the the critical part of me says, well, that, that's not how it should be. Well, know? just to push back on you a little bit on that one, side note, like I think with Paranormal Activity, the low rumble, my, my uh, I guess, my viewing of those films seem to suggest 
that the the paranormal force, you know, the demon was really making was making the rumble in the house by rumbling the boards or whatever. Okay, well, I'm I'm okay with that too. Okay, I, I just I I like it to be sourced, right? You know, just it, as with movie lighting to large degree, I like to feel like it's coming from a real place. I don't want it to feel like there's a big giant. Yeah, movie light. I want to feel like, oh, this is a this is motivated by a real thing. And if they can find music, I mean, look, Hitchcock did it back in the day. You know, he walked into an opera house to have score playing in the background, right. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think you know that's interesting. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, amazing. Find a way to get the sound in there in a believable way, and I think that's great. And again, within the format of a faux documentary. Now, yeah, I mean, maybe tastefully, if you were doing a faux documentary and you had footage of people dying, you probably wouldn't sweeten the sound during their death scenes. You probably wouldn't add score there. <laughs> right. You would probably, the tasteful thing would be to cut out all soundtrack. But I think there would be creepy music throughout leading up to that. You okay. Know, through those interviews and that's, through the, pe- the people walking around outside. and That's interesting. Yeah, that's neat to think about that. Um so what I mean, about geez, watch ahead. the jinx man it's filled with music and yeah you know stuff to creep you up <laughs> so what about this then um we like to note like we did a earlier this year we did a killer clowns a creepy clowns episode and this film also has some creepy clowns in it so i think that's oh, noteworthy yeah. and, and and they're even I, I don't know how you guys feel about this but i i found a couple of um like it's it's kind of it's a little more subtle okay but but or even either that or i'm just imagining things which is always possible but i i feel like there are a couple little shout outs in there as far as the clowns like um like i saw the the clown mask from uh the dark knight at the beginning with the joker's men um it, during okay. that bank heist I, I saw that and then of course um i, I saw it, it seemed at least it was brief like there was uh, some captain spaulding makeup at one point oh as well I, I didn't catch that but that I'll pretty, if i watch again i will definitely uh check for that yeah so that's kind of cool there, there was a it was a it was a I mean, for me, watching this movie, I was watching it last night, and I actually I have a setup now in, in our in our dining room because my office has been completely inundated and you can't walk in there. So I have a setup down here in the dining room, and because it's Christmas time, I used to have a lamp next to um, the area where I'm sitting, but now the Christmas tree is there, mm-hmm. um, which does give off some light. But when you turn it off, it also gives off these. Uh, it also has these bells that plays Christmas music that, like, <laughs> after a while, is like a nail driven into my head. So I don't always turn on the Christmas tray, <laughs> and the these. Uh, I have a chandelier above me that I don't know. There's something wrong with the wiring. We put in new bulbs, and there's like right now two of the six bulbs are actually lit. So it was a very sort of dark atmosphere as I was watching this movie. And I was downstairs by myself. Well, it was right at the scene involving a clown uh, at the top of a stairway. Uh-huh. And I'm not going to go into too much with it. <laughs> yes. But the lights in the entire downstairs start to flicker. Now, two days ago, we had these rolling blackouts where the lights just went out for five minutes at a time. And it looked as if it was about to happen again right at that moment. Oh. <laughs> as that was happening. <laughs> 
<laughs> so as you can imagine, I was definitely uh, on the edge of my seat at that scene because it's a well-handled scene. It really is. Yes. Um, and that added atmosphere. Uh, yeah, it, 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 it got to me a little more than maybe it even would have under normal circumstances. I still think it would have creeped me out, but then I was really, uh, yeah, I was, I was, I was just about to go, uh, I was just about to get the hell out of here. <laughs> there no. are a couple of clown scenes and they are to me, the most terrifying scenes of the film by a large margin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really scary. It's crazy because they're such old school filmmaking techniques. It's, you know, look away. Something's there. Look away. Something's gone. Look away. Something's different, you know, and it's just such a simple thing, but it's so scary. It is. And, and I'll tell you for, for me, um, the, and I won't go into it because I don't want to spoil it. And I, I hope that people watch the film strictly for this. The scariest part of the movie um, had to do with um, kind of hiding under your covers. And, 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 I'll, and I'll tell you, because that's a universal thing, right? When you're in bed at and night. That never, that never ends well, it, especially it, in found footage. That's never going to end well. <laughs> well, here's the thing. Here's, I'm telling you right now, because of Hell House LLC, not that I'm a real cover hider kind of guy. But I will never hide under covers again because of this film. Because that <laughs> yeah, is a I, terrible I idea. I see. It's in that situation, you just start screaming your head off. You know? Yeah. And, and, and throughout this movie, I would, this is one of those movies where because it was working, it was working on me. Mm-hmm. I kept saying, Why, I'd sleep in the van. Sleep outside. Don't sleep in that damn oh, house. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. That's, you know, I would not I be in that So gone, I yeah. would have been so gone. I'd be telling this guy, "Hey, man, you're paying for all of us to sleep at the Motel Six. I'm sorry, we're going. <laughs> I'll leave a light on for you. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting. I, I think the the cast is really good here for the most part. I, you know, there mm-hmm. are moments where my least favorite thing about found footage movies are the moments where it feels like. They're improvising and it's trying, they're trying to get information across, right? but they're not doing it very artfully. And so it just feels very forced and kind of, you get those forced arguments, arguments sometimes. And, and, you know, the little uh, ribbing back and forth. Okay. We understand you guys are old friends, but also the, just with, with the screaming at each other after a while, you know, that seems to be something that's, in a lot of these films. Um, and I'm not saying it wouldn't happen in that situation, but I don't know if it would happen quite the way it was depicted, you know, in, in this movie. For felt, me, that felt even, a little forced. For me, it's more just even the mundane scenes of when they get there and they say, well, you know, we need to be looking around here for like, I don't know. It just feels like this one actor is trying to push the story forward and the other actor doesn't know what to say. Like, I, I just right. wish those like types ex, of scenes right, were exp- exposition in the scene well where people who have, who've worked together for this long wouldn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that's the kind of stuff I didn't like, but other than that, I felt like the cast was really strong of the team who was putting up the haunt. I think the people who I didn't love were the documentary filmmakers uh, that to me yeah. felt, especially the director, Right. Uh, she really got on my nerves. Like she yes. felt so false. <laughs> like she felt so um, performative as someone who shouldn't be someone who should be the least performative right. of all of them. You know, she's like, and that, so that, that bothered me, especially because, and you know, it was very soon in the film where she shows up like minute 10, 
But the the two guys who had been on screen before that, these two interviewees were so convincing. I was like, wow, this is one of the best acted found footage movies I've ever seen. And then, Mm -hmm. you know, then she had her scene. I was like, can't win them all. Well, that's true. (laughs) Yeah. And speaking of the casting then, so uh, the guy, Paul, okay, that that actor uh, played by, I believe his first name is Gore. Interesting. Gore Abrams. Okay. His... I thought for certain, because he's behind the camera uh, quite a bit, particularly in the first half of the film. And when I was hearing his voice, I'm like, is, is uh, Scott Weinberg in this film? Like the film critic, horror film critic Scott Weinberg. I thought for sure that was him because I know he dabbles mm. in filmmaking. And, and he sounds so much like Scott Weinberg. It was crazy to me, but it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> him. It was Gore Abrams. That was interesting to me for some reason. But I agree, I agree with the performances. I thought most of them were were pretty great, and I just want to chime in with you guys. I think mainly the places those got weakest for me was when there was like a lot of like screaming. It's particularly, there's a scene scene outside where there's a lot of screaming, and I'm like, nah, I'm not buying this moment. But otherwise, pretty good. What about? No, and- I just heard a big blast of Christmas music. Did you guys hear that? <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> no, but- okay. But that's creepy, right? Like out yeah. of out of context, like that. Yes, it is. <laughs> Maybe it's from Dave's uh, little Christmas tree setup downstairs. <laughs> no, I, I'm actually muting my mic every time I'm not talking, so I know it's not coming from me. And I <laughs> trust me, if if that if that was going, if that thing just automatically turned on, like I said, I wouldn't be sitting in here. But I'd, I'd be, I'd get the hell out of here. Oh, it's funny. I love it. I like how this is kind of a Christmas horror episode, even though that's not even what we're discussing. That's kind of cool. So in a previous, and I'm just going to touch on this very lightly, okay? But in a previous episode of a horror movie podcast, I have no idea where it was. But we talked briefly about the scary images that can come up from uh, like Google, Google Street View. (laughs) And I love how there's a little riff on that kind of thing oh, in here. Yes, yeah. there is. I, yes, there I, is. I really admired that. And I'm like, mm-hmm. right on. I think that's the first time I've seen that show up in a horror film. Um, people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's cool. Um, yeah, definitely. A couple of questions this made me ask is like, this is interesting because I, I wonder if haunted house creators ever do actually get creeped out by their own stuff, which was, which is interesting. Oh, yeah. In, in this movie, you see. Oh, for sure, yeah, I would think so. When I worked I at think the so. haunted forest, there were definitely sections I didn't want to walk through. Like there was a a mine section where it was wasn't completely underground, but it felt like it was. The, they had built dirt up around it, and then it slanted down a little bit, maybe like two or three feet. But you f- had the feeling like you were going underground, and that's where the chainsaw guys would hang out. And I hated walking through there because. They, there was no way to signal to them that you weren't that you weren't a guest. The public, and yeah. So they would just wait and jump out at you with these chainsaws every time. And you're like, guys, I'm coming through. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't jump out at me with the chainsaws. <laughs> oh man! But there, it just happened every time you're walking through this dark underground, dusty mine, and uh, yeah, these guys would chase us. But. <laughs> So yeah, no, there were de- there were definitely a couple of areas where it would freak you out, but the, but there also is, you know, this is an interesting haunt compared to what I'm used to because it's so 
kind of cramped and it is in this like real world location where there's no like we were out in a very large place where the behind the scenes area was very clearly defined and you know people are walking around without their masks on drinking a coke or whatever you know in the background but my kind of people yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's but no cool. i think it's freaky okay. yeah there was a there was a um there was another place there was a a swamp area where the fog machine was always going and you really start to buy into the reality of the situation, you know, even though it is false, it's you're living in it. It's manufactured, but even though it's manufactured, your mind plays tricks on you. Is that kind of how it works? Well, yeah, you buy it. You just buy into it. I think after a while, after being submerged in it for a while, like, like you're at the haunted castle at Disneyland or something. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Well, and and the other thing I want to compliment, I think is interesting, is this film, like, you know, okay, so you know the Christopher Nolan film, The Prestige, which is incredible. It's a film about Mm -hmm. a magician and magic. I love that film because I think it's not, not a horror film, mind you, but I think that it's incredible because the movie itself is a cinematic magic trick. I mean, the way that film works is a magic trick in and of itself. And then I Mm. I think what's great about Hell House LLC is this film itself is a haunted house. And and I think that's kind of neat because, I mean, it it takes us through this haunted house uh, a bunch and gives us kind of the ride of the haunted house, which is neat. And, of course, if you haven't, I mean... In terms of genre, because we are talking about haunted house, right? We uh, should we just see. I don't even. I'm reluctant to talk about genre classification very much. Uh, you know what I mean, guys? Because what do you think we should say about that? Do you think it's okay to? Oh, like is it a monster yeah. movie? Is it a supernatural gotcha. movie? That kind of thing. Yeah, or should we leave that out? I'm just curious what you think. I think leave it out because yeah, I really well, had my questions during at the beginning of the film. Where is right. this going? You never know what it is. Okay. What's going on? Are we looking at a slasher here? Or... Right. Yeah. So I, I would kind of maybe. Yeah, I don't know that we need to go that deep into it. Okay. So well, the mystery is part of the fun. I think. Right. Sure. right. I agree. I agree with that. So. Um, the other thing I think is is cool about this concept is that a haunted house audience, um, in terms of victims, okay, people who are prey, P-R-E-Y, um, uh, the people going through a haunted house would tend to be very insulated or at least unaffected by the true terror in this situation because they're planning on being scared. They think it's fun. They think it's all a show. And even though they're screaming and they're scared, it's on a playful level. And I love how the reality of things in this movie is actually on a deadly level. It's life or death. And then it's neat to see them, you know, kind of discover that. And I think that's an interesting aspect as well. And another cool thing is you don't have, in horror films, a lot of times when people are actually killed, um, it's usually like very secluded. It, a, a lot of times it's like one person getting killed, and it especially doesn't happen in the midst of a crowd. But what I like about this film is that it's, you know, the kills happen, um, you know, in the midst of a bunch of people and with lots of witnesses. And I think that's pretty cool as well. Interesting. Yeah, I agree. I, 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 you get that scene, like you were talking about the um, the uh, video taken, somebody had taken on their phone, mm-hmm. and you get that scene as they're going uh, to the steps of people 
yelling, get out of here, coming up the steps, you know, without yeah. any real idea of what's going on. And, and if you're in that situation, you're thinking, is this part of the show? Is this, do I join in? And, and, and I, I kind of yeah. liked how they, they had that moment there, you know, where, where it's like, and they're even talking. There's a scene where this, where this clown just barrels past these people. And they're like, is that part of the show? Is that guy look <laughs> in a hurry? What, what's going on here? You know? <laughs> and um, because of the situation you're in, you've put yourself in this situation of, of being in this, in this, um, you know, this quote unquote haunted house that, you know, is a show. At what point can, what point are you going to become convinced it's no longer a show? <laughs> Right. It would be hard. And that's, that's, yeah, part of the brilliance of this and it makes it so fun. Mm hmm. Yeah. And, and I guess. I love that act. It's so rare that you see a big group of people in a found footage movie, too. I liked that aspect. True. That as well. Very true. Mm hmm. That's neat. Uh, now, I will say, and I won't go into any spoilers whatsoever, but I will say for me, um, it, it loses its way a little bit at the end. I mean, as many found footage films do. It, it does uh, kind of devolve into utter chaos. And then I feel like there's a lot of Blair Witch influence in this. And I'm talking about the original Blair Witch Project. Um, you know, so I, I feel like there's that. And and maybe that was, you know, them paying, you know, honor or, you know, giving a little tribute to that. But um, in the midst of that, and this made me laugh a couple of times out loud. And it's so... so and and I, I say this lovingly, but man, is I'm like it's a little much. We have we have some on the soundtrack. We have some sound effects of horse whinnies, horse whinnying, right? <laughs> and, and it reminded you of the considering the sequels days. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it did, it did, and it happens a couple of times, and it's just it's it's a little much, like you know. But but other than because it made me laugh, but other than that, you know pretty pleased overall so do you guys have any final thoughts before we go into our our ratings on this because i i think that's about all i have on it no i'm with you i think it does there are problems toward the end and i i wish it were a little bit cleaner because i think they've done such a great job setting it up but at the same time it makes sense for the situation you're in and it, and it is again fun to see that many people involved mm -hmm. in this crazy scene just running around and like i i wish it were that part didn't feel as well written as mm -hmm. the rest of it. Yeah. I, I agree. And I don't know that the ultimate payoff was as good as the setup, but it wasn't terrible either. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't a complete letdown for me. Um I thought that what oh, the no. build up to get to that scene though was actually much better um than when when than when the mystery is actually re uh revealed. Mm-hmm. I guess it almost always is with found footage movies, which I think yeah. is a problem. I think it was, we've talked about this before, but I think it was the right way to end the Blair Witch project, but it's not the right for, thing for everyone. But it, but it makes sense because if, if this truly is found footage, something very abrupt happened at the end. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it makes sense context wise, but we're to believe we're living in a documentary. I want to see a finished film, you know? Yes. True. Mm-hmm. Very true. Now, uh, one last thing I just mentioned before we go into ratings. In terms of like the shaky cam, you know, for people who are sensitive to that, I know that's one of the major complaints about found footage. You know, I think there is some some shaky cam in here, but this isn't I don't think this is one of the more egregious ones, you know, because it is much of it is documentary style, 
you know, it's not quite as shaky as some of other found footage films, right? No, I mean, it, it gets there at the end, like you were saying, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, there, there's a big portion of the film that's supposed to be a documentary. And so those filmmakers are being very careful with their camera. Then there's another, but it, even the main cameraman who's not necessarily doing it as a documentary, he's just documenting it for just kind of an internal video for the group of people putting on the haunt. Mm-hmm. He's still a pretty steady cameraman for most of the time. And, and it's a nice combination because sometimes like with diary of the dead, which you mentioned, mm-hmm. that's too steady. It feels staged and, you know, it feels like there's a director of photography behind the camera. In this right. case, it feels real. Agreed. But it's also not shaking the whole time. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's better than uh, what's his name? Is it HUD and uh, Cloverfield? <laughs> like, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. That dude. Right. He's He's like, He's like shaking the camera like a maraca as he runs around. Yeah, like you might as well just put it around his neck like a necklace. <laughs> so TJ Miller. I know. Shout out to TJ Miller. I love him. <laughs> so anyway, okay. So for me, um, Hell House LLC. And again, we're reviewing the director's cut of the film. Thing is, I'm a found footage guy. So I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. And I, I do think this is um, one of the best horror like haunted house type films that i've seen and so for me this is a a a seven out of ten i give it a strong rental recommendation and i'll just say for me i enjoyed this far more you know it's not as polished or all that stuff but i still enjoyed it far more than something like rob zombies 31 which i think you know that's a uh, for for whatever reason like that reminds me a little bit of the, you know, with the clowns and, and so forth, but I liked it better than 31. So what do you say, Dr. Shock? Uh, I agree. I liked it better than 31 too, uh, or 31 <laughs> also. Uh, I was not a big fan of Rob Zombie's 31, but, uh, and I'm actually right there with you. I give it a seven out of 10. I think that there were some uh, extremely, um, you know, frightening scenes in this. I mean, you know, the, the ones we had discussed and especially like you were saying, I mean, um, pulling the blankets up over your head, it never ends well. And it, it really, there's no reason to ever do it. Um, and looking at this movie, you're right. I think this will keep people from ever doing it again. <laughs> um, but you know, and then we discussed the, the, the ending and so forth, but for me, yeah, it's a seven out of 10 and it's a, it's a strong rental. It's, it's, um, it's worth seeing, and I don't know that you have to even wait until the Halloween season. I mean, I think this. Uh, right. I mean, this is good. This is one you could check out at any time. Hmm. I agree. Yes, sir. Okay, Wolfman Josh, what say you? I'm right there with you guys. I think this is seven out of ten. I think it's one of the stronger mid-range found footage films. I think there are some that are in the upper echelon for me that are as good as any film across all genres. I think this is just that next step down where it's a, just a great example of a found footage movie. And I found it very enjoyable. I heard they're making hell house LLC part two currently. Um, so mm. I, I look forward to that. And I'm a fan of Stephen Cognetti, the filmmaker. I think he seems like a really intelligent guy. He, he had some great ideas here that we haven't seen executed in this way before and i feel like with a little bit bigger budget he might be able to do something really 
impressive because he, he did something on probably what I can only assume is a very small budget. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. Yes. Congratulations to him. I think, you know, I think because this director's cut is only available on DVD, I would say buy it. I think you can check it out on Amazon streaming, uh, but it is not the director's cut. So if you have Amazon prime, you could rent it for free. And and I would recommend, I guess people do that to see if they like it. But if you're interested in seeing kind of the ultimate version of this, I, I'd say buy it. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in fact, you know, because, and I'll mention this because I, I like the film really well. We found out that there's a, if people want to purchase this, there's even a, a discount code if they wanted to purchase it, right? Oh, that's right. So go to hellhousellc.com, which is the only place to buy the special edition director's cut. And then the coupon code is HMC25, and you can get 25% off of your order. So that's a that's a pretty good deal. That's awesome. And it's, it says here, the special features are, there's a director's commentary track, the extended f- cut of the film, which it looks like is six minutes longer. If I'm comparing the runtime on Amazon to the runtime run on this mm-hmm. DVD, mm-hmm. Uh, it's got recovered basement footage is one of the features, 30 minutes of bonus material behind the scenes, deleted scenes. And we've, found out that the producers of the director's cut at found footage critic are giving us two copies of the DVD to give away to our listeners. So thank you to those guys. And we will do that on our Christmas episode. And again, stick around to the end of the show to find out the official rules of winning some of the prizes that we are giving away. I'm looking at the website here right now. It says support the sequel. Hell house LLC is, yeah, I guess it's filming right now. Interesting. Okay. Part two. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know from our listeners, has there ever been, maybe it happened, maybe it's happened a couple dozen times, so it's not even an, uh, a big deal, but I'm wondering, all three of us came in with the exact same score. How often has that happened? <laughs> Very few They times. will tell us. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If anybody knows, tell us uh, Tell us uh, when and if that last happened, if it's happened at all, or uh, like I said, it could happen. It could have happened two, three dozen times for all. No, it wasn't normally, I, I don't know that we always i i don't remember all of us coming in with the exact same score on a movie before i feel like it's been three times total that's what i feel (laughs) that's what i seem to remember in my (laughs) subconscious (laughs) okay so probably you've got quite a a subconscious there jay thank you (laughs) i've been told that on many occasions (laughs) (laughs) i do want to briefly recommend two documentaries to go along with this, not Hell House, although if that sounded interesting to you, I would recommend the original documentary Hell House. Mm-hmm. The other two I would recommend as maybe a good double feature are The American Scream, directed by Michael Paul Stevenson of Best Worst Movie fame. That one is it's a pretty simple film. It's just people who do haunted trails or haunted houses in their actual home for Halloween, and it goes to this kind of obsession that people have of creating these in their, in their house for trick or treaters. That's fun. And then one that is shocking is haunters, which is a new film that I'd like to review with you guys sometime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called the art of the scare. And that is mind blowing. <laughs> no way. And, uh, yeah. I would nice. love to talk about that with you guys. It starts out normal enough, just about, you know, the typical haunted house experience, but then it gets into, extreme haunted houses where they can actually touch you and put you through 
this in- extremely intense, terrifying experience. Yeah. Where you're being borderline tortured and stuff, and it looks so scary. So right. <laughs> and you have to wow. sign you probably have to sign stuff in order to yeah. you know say that you won't sue them and yikes. <laughs> yeah, that that seems like that could cross the line very easily. It's like very nothing quick. could go wrong with this idea. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my. Okay. Well, uh there you have it then. That's our review of uh Hell House LLC. If you've seen this film, let us know what you think in the show notes for episode 135. Okay, and now here's a feature review that I've been dying to hear. Um, I didn't get to catch up with this, but my two buddies here, old reliables, they did it. And so we'll move into our feature review of 7852 Hitchcock's Shower Scene. It was actually the first time in the history of movies where it wasn't safe to be in the movie theater. When a moment of violence is so suggestive, so unlike anything we've seen, murder was now going to be an acceptable part of entertainment. Psycho you felt could happen to you. This was the first movie that showed you can be naked, alone in a shower, and someone who is going to come in and just stab you. It had to be done impressionistically. The head, the feet, the hand. He has broken the covenant of filmmaker and audience. And the audience cannot wait to see more. Yeah, so this is billed as being an entire film about the one scene of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, the, the famous shower scene with Janet Lee. And so it's not exactly that. It is and it isn't. Because in some ways, yeah, it is. They spend the entire film breaking down different elements of that scene, filming that scene, the meaning behind it, the cultural context. But it also goes a lot deeper into Hitchcock's life and his the rest of his filmography. And, you know, it it delves a lot deeper than just that one scene. In some ways, I would have loved to just see a 90 minute dissection of only that scene. And I, that honestly, I think could have carried my interest. You know, the 78 52 refers to the 72 shots and 52 cuts that are in that scene. I'd have liked to go shot by shot, cut by cut and talk about it. Right, but what right. they do here is also interesting. Uh, there are some amazing interviews here from like everybody who is doing interesting work in horror cinema today, I think is in this movie. You know, it's, it's just so cool to see this collection of people from Oz Perkins to Neil Marshall to McGarris and Danny Elfman and Yomo del Toro and right. And and Elijah Wood for some reason shows up in there too. He was, uh, he's a fan. Wood is, well, not only, yeah, is he a mega fan, but he's also, one of the owners of SpectraVision, and that's who yeah. that was in that group. It's him and the other two owners of SpectraVision. Owners of SpectraVision, okay. Okay. Yeah. And they they are they're big time. Yeah. They they yeah. traveled all the horror festivals and you know and seeing and seeing seeing the reactions of people as they're watching the scene, you know, after yeah. sort of discussing it. 
for as long as as they were in this movie. Then they sit there and they watch the scene and they're they're sort of commenting on it. That was part the part I I thought that was really interesting as well because they've just spent a whole bunch of time not not doing what you're saying, dissecting it shot by shot, but sort of going over. You know, we, they do show us a little bit. It's like, oh, look here, this this part's blurry. Oh, and here he had to cut away to something else because and things like that, which I thought was interesting. And and then seeing the people as they react to it, you know, I, I like that. Yeah, that was great. Like in, Eli Roth stood out to me. Was, mm-hmm. You're just kind of sitting there watching. It's like, wow, look at this. Right. Wow, this is amazing. <laughs> right, <know>? right, right. <laughs> and and uh, yeah, I, I felt like the editing portion to me, you know, again, we have all these great horror filmmakers and historians and, you know, and writers talking about it. But then we actually also have people who are fully artists and mm-hmm. editors and them talking about the, cho- the fully choices that were used and the editing patterns that were used during the stabbing portion of the scene. And all of that was so fascinating and, and just putting shots up next to each other where they show, the shower head and then the hole that Anthony Perkins is looking through and mm-hmm. then the toilet and things I had never really thought about, about the f- framings that Hitchcock chose that were really enlightening to, to the painting that was covering up the, uh, the peephole, you know, the, yeah. I, I, I never even made that connection before. And then you have an art critic come in or, or an art, uh, I guess an art uh, connoisseur come in and explain the significance of that particular painting. And why he thought Hitchcock chose that particular painting nice. to cover up uh, this this peephole. Yeah, that was really cool. I, I, there were a lot of elements of this that I liked. And I think, again, it does kind of function as a Hitchcock retrospective. If you don't know much about Hitchcock, it's a great primer to just kind of learn about him. And I think it really puts in context well what Psycho meant to Hitchcock and cinema at this time and, mm-hmm. and what it meant to Hitchcock's life and career at this time as well. And, and what it and what it was in, in, in a reaction to, you know, they, they were talking mm-hmm. about how psycho was sort of a reaction to Les, Les, uh, Les Diaboliques, uh, right. the, uh, the Clouseau film uh, from the fifties, which Hitchcock attempted to buy the rights for and missed out by a matter of hours. Um, because because they had just beaten him to the rights of that film. And it's almost as if Hitchcock was making Psycho to show, hey, you know, you did something great with that movie, but I can do it too. And and they were talking about how that could have been a little bit of a motivation for him as well. Yeah, and it was also interesting. I think it was actually the SpectraVision guys who were talking about um, just where it came in Hitchcock's career, how it had this giant mainstream shiny, colorful success. And then right, he just goes right. into something extremely kind of perverse and subversive immediately after just to kind of snub his nose at what people expected of him at that stage in his career. And, and even right. talking about how the shots from the last shot of North by Northwest fuse into the first shot of psycho. I thought that right. was pretty funny. As well. <laughs> and with what it came out to be, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, and I also liked uh, the discussion of how he handled the uh, the the censors uh, at the time, you know, the League of Decency when when they were talking about the um, the overt sexuality, how he said, well, it's not there, and and if you see it, then you're a bunch of horn dogs. So he was almost, you know, <laughs> sort of putting it back on them, saying, hey, you 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 horny devils, what are you looking at? I don't see what you're talking about here. <laughs> 
Yeah, that was cool. I, you know, and yeah, they. I've heard this story many times about how the toilet scene was actually like almost a bigger deal that they had shown. Right, right, because they never showed that before. I mean, all in all, in all media. I mean, my God, the the Brady Bunch didn't even have a toilet. They just had a big mirror with a sink. I mean, you never saw a toilet <laughs> in, in anything before. But watching that movie now in the in the eighties and nineties, you don't even think about that scene. You know that that scene doesn't even register as something of importance. Mm-hmm. Or that moment, I should say. That moment doesn't register as something of importance. I liked also just the breadth that you had Jamie Lee Curtis a- able to talk first person about her mother. You have Alfred Hitchcock's granddaughter, I guess, who was taken over the stead for her mom and in, in her mom's older age. You know, you, Pat used to be in all the documentaries. It was always Pat Hitchcock. And now it's her daughter. Right, right, right. <laughs> the documentary. But I, I love that you have that version. I love that you've got Peter Bogdanovich, who was there in New York in Times Square when Psycho premiered. And, and he and, can and talk his, about it. From that yeah, his, his reaction to that scene. I mean, he said it was the first time he was actually afraid in a movie theater for from audience reaction and whatnot. And he said he, when he walked out of the theater, he felt as if he'd been raped. Yeah, that was intense. But then I also like that on the other end of the spectrum, you have these guys who are just fans that are, you know, that are filmmakers now, you know, like Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who, you know, were on our horror cinema awards jury last year, they're in the film together and they've got like a funny little moment. And, uh, you know, Guillermo del Toro, who is obviously such a big horror film fan and Mm -hmm. he can speak so eloquently about these things. So I don't know. It was just, it was just great. The, breadth of what they covered and who the subjects were in the film i thought that was awesome yep i agree i definitely agree so if um as i understand it then so this is technically i mean it's not necessarily a horror film but it's a documentary about the classic horror film and about hitchcock as well right yeah i mean we we have always talked about doing a horror documentary episode where we would cover you know, real life horrors. Can't and wait this for is that. Not that. This is a, this is a documentary about horror, mm-hmm. but you know, we've reviewed a few of those on the film before we talked about doc of the dead, for instance, that Kyle Bishop was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I think this is the best one that I've seen of that type, you know, neat horror okay. business is one people talk about a lot. Which right. I, I'm not a huge fan of that one, but hmm. no, I think this is, I think this is really strong. And, you know, I'm a Hitchcock super fan. And so it's mm-hmm. so much fun to watch a film like this. I could, I could watch one about every scene and every Hitchcock right. film, I feel like, just, you know. And just how, how meticulous he was putting things together, how they showed him setting up this earlier in the movie with just an over, over the shoulder shot in the, in the, uh, in that hotel room or, uh, at the beginning with Sam Loomis and, and, uh, and Marion Crane. And just the different ways that he was setting, setting up what was to come, you know, and it really was something, I mean, at the time I could see people sitting in the theater with this movie, you know, after, after what happens after the shower scene, people going, geez, how are they going to get Janet Lee back in this movie? Because, you know, they're thinking she can't be gone. (laughs) Right, and that was the that was the real magic of it. That's what that's what Hitchcock had done. Is he had said, "Hey, look, right. you know, you're not," and and they get into the whole thing about him, you know, sort of criticizing America's um, complacency and and with things like World War II and and so forth, and and basically saying, "Hey, you're not safe where you you're not safe when you think you are. You might you might even think you're safe in your bathroom, but you're not really." 
And, you know, I think, you know, we've all heard the Janet Lee psycho thing a million times. We've talked about it on this show all the time, the killing the, the star up front, like they do with, you know, Drew Barrymore and Scream, for instance. Mm-hmm. But I feel like this documentary expressed that idea in a way that I'd never really thought about it before. And I thought that right. was cool. And it's also just cool hearing it from the horse's mouth with some of these people. Like it was interesting. They, they brought in a few of the people who worked on the 1998 psycho. And it was so interesting to hear the cinematographer or the editor and Danny Elfman, who did the score talk about how they tried to approach that and how difficult that was and why that was so such a difficult thing to do. And, you know, the editor talks about how she cut it exactly like it had been in psycho and it didn't work. Right. That was was right. Work. So she had to cut it differently, even though, you know, the intent was to do a shot for shot. It wasn't a shot for shot. She had to change it in order to make it feel like a Gus Van Sant movie to some degree, right. you know? <laughs> right. So I don't know. There were there. Yeah. I love that stuff. Mm-hmm. There were, I don't know. I, I think if you're a Hitchcock super fan, this is the one that you have. It's worth it. And, and they had the, um, um, Janet Lee's body double. Who really yeah. was the star of that scene? It was not it a really you know was, so yeah. much Janet Lee as it was the this this body double, and she was talking about it you know and and about how when she first went into audition she had to take off her clothes for Hitchcock and then later go take off her clothes for Janet Lee because they had to make sure that that right. it was a body match. Amazing. Well, I'm I'm sold. I I can't wait to see this. I'm really excited about it. So, where can people find this? Just curious. This is an IFC Midnight release. It came out in October, mm-hmm. and I think it's just streaming. It's on Amazon. Looks lot. like. Yeah. Yeah, you can stream it on there. Okay. I'm seeing it for a 3.99 digital rental on YouTube and Google Play. So it's available. Okay. So what do you guys rate? 78.52. As a documentary, you know, again, sometimes the filmmaking is impressive in a documentary and sometimes you just have an information dump. I think they actually do a really artful job of delivering this, although it isn't just an informational documentary. There's not like some great story arc like The Imposter or The Jinx, which I mentioned earlier. This is, you know, just an informational film, but they still deliver it in a really pleasing way. They do most of the interviews in this setting that looks like the motel room from the Bates motel. Mm-hmm. It's, it's got, it's just got some great, I, I I do think they start off with some reenactments, which I think were actually the weakest part of the whole movie where they show this other actress kind of playing gently. I almost wish they would have just cut those shots out because I thought it was cool enough with just the shot, you know, out of focus shots of the rain and the car mm-hmm. driving. And I don't know why they had to do that because they don't really continue that motif throughout. The no, film. they don't. That just sort of drops dead after that, after the, uh, after that little bit at the opening there, they do it one or two times, but it's just, there's no, I don't know. I wish that wasn't in there. Other than that, I would say it's high quality for the type of film it is. And so I give this one an 8.5 and I would say buy it. Oh, excellent. Okay. 8.5 buy it. And what about you, Dr. Chuck? What do you say? Yeah, I mean, uh, one of my favorite sort of subgenres is uh, documentaries about movies. Uh, so, and this is one of the better ones that I've seen in, in a while. So, uh, I'd give it, uh, I'd probably give it a nine out of ten, and I'd say it's a buy. I know I'm, I've already pre-ordered it. I think it's coming out in February uh, on Blu-ray, and it's one I'm, I'm sure I'll check out again. Uh, there was another Hitchcock movie that came out not too long ago, Hitchcock Truffaut, talking about, you know, the um. Uh, 
the interviews that Truffaut had conducted with Hitchcock while also looking at both of their careers, uh, which was an interesting one. And I like that, but I think I like this one even a little bit more. So yeah, a nine out of 10 and it's a buy. Okay, excellent. And uh, I remember that Kagan liked this film as well. I believe he saw that at Sundance, right? Way at the beginning of this year. And he I believe ta- that's correct. Talked yeah. about it yep. for us. Mm-hmm. So, all right, that's uh, seventy-eight fifty-two. Thanks for reviewing that, guys. And uh, speaking of uh, documentaries and such, Wolfman, I think you wanted to talk about a very famous, <laughs> well, it's a semi-famous documentary called "Going to Pieces," right? Yeah, I just happened to watch that this week, so I figured if we were talking about you know documentaries about horror, I could I could bring it up. It's one that I wish I had watched before we did our um you know slashers coverage last year it's it, i had seen bits and pieces of it but i never just sat down and watched the whole thing for whatever reason i thought it was like a multi-part series so <laughs> maybe that's part of it but i did get the dvd finally so i i sat down and watched it beginning to end and it was good I, the main reason i actually ended up watching it was because of terror train when i after I watched Terror Train, I looked up The Killer to see what other films I may have seen The Killer in, and they they had not been in other horror films. Uh, they had been in a few other things, but this was the only other uh, credit route where I was like, oh, as, as himself, I want to check this out because I want to see... Uh, what this person really looks like as you know, outside of the movie. <laughs> and I don't remember actually seeing him <laughs> in the documentaries. I, I, I was, I was doing a few other things while I, was, while I was watching it, but maybe I'll need to look closer, but it's cool. It's just a history of the slasher. And mm-hmm. you know, it's not, there's nothing super groundbreaking that we haven't talked about in our 80 slasher coverage or our proto slasher episode, but it's again, it's just fun to see the people involved. It's fun to see, um, Bob Clark talk about things. It's fun to see, you know, John Carpenter and Wes Craven and Sam Winston, especially. I think mm-hmm. Sam, you know, Greg Nicotero's in here and Rob Zombie. But for me, it was, I think Stan Winston and Bob Clark had some extra deleted scenes on the, on the DVD. And I just found them so interesting, especially Sam Winston was such a cool guy. I wish, I wish I there was more content with Stan Winston out there. Mm-hmm. I would love to watch a documentary just about him. Right. Agreed. Mm-hmm. So there's an idea for the documentary filmmakers in the audience. But yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was just an interesting overview of the slasher years. And, you know, again, nothing super groundbreaking, but a, a nice introduction to what slashers were doing. Again, what they were a reaction to, how they were received. And I, I didn't, this one I hated the presentation of, I hated the graphics. Uh, I hated the, they, they had decided to do kind of like a walk and talk shot for a lot of the interviews. And so it's cool to have John Carpenter and Tom Savini, but like they're walking the whole time they're doing their interview. And it's just, for me, it felt very distracting. It's a cool idea to kind of change up the talking head thing but ultimately it felt more like a ABC news special or something. Oh yeah. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, it, it, it it kind of lost a lot of the uh, vibe I would want, I guess, from a horror master to have him walking around on a sunny day, even if it's in a graveyard or like Sean Cunningham, he's, you know, 
you know, by the covered bridge from one of the Friday films, but I don't know. I, I would just prefer to see. <laughs> I don't know. It, it didn't have the ambiance of a, of a horror thing. And then it would come back in with these really grungy, like nineties grunge, gross kind of like title cards and a little guitar riff. And I don't know. I just was not into <laughs> stylistic. Presentation. So it goes from like uh, uh bridges over Madison County or whatever to exactly. uh, like, <laughs> to this grungy <laughs> art. <laughs> right. <laughs> Swinging light bulb, you know, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's been a while fun. since I've seen this. I, I think I reviewed it <clears throat> on the blog. I think it, well, it was number two twenty eight. So it's been a few years since I've seen this. Um, but just looking at what I've written here, I, I, I did, I do remember them bringing in that uh, episode of sneak previews with Cisco and Ebert when they were yes. basically dedicating uh, an entire episode to just droning on about how they despise the slasher movies and, yes. and even, even questioning who would, who are you out there who dare go to see these films? <laughs> and, you know, they things just like totally that. missed the point. Of, right, it's it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, we know that about those guys, but it's it was interesting because well, we've played clips from them from time to time about specific films, but to see <laughs> that long a discussion about the slasher genre and them just completely not getting it, it was mm-hmm. I don't know, humorous and disheartening <laughs> at once. Yes, Joseph right. Zito was another one. His in- his interview was interesting about the Prowler, but I don't know. I felt like this weird. There was like this weird bit of trivia where he's talking about the final chapter and he was denying that Tommy Jarvis, you know, there's the fan rumor that Tommy Jarvis is based on Tom Savini (laughs) and he, and Joseph Zito kind of vehemently denies that. And then it was weird, but it was one of those times when he does protest too much where it felt like, "Eh, it seems like it is like, I I never really believed that before, but now that you're denying it so hard, (laughs) now I'm starting to believe it. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I know that was kind of fun. Bet- Betsy Palmer and and you know like current interviews with her when she was alive and 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 still able to conduct it. I mean, it was fascinating right. to see her in there. So anyway, it, it just a nice little intro to slashers. If you haven't heard our proto slasher episode or our franchise reviews of Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street or our complete. 80s slasher <laughs> movement coverage last Halloween. If you haven't heard any of that, then watch this documentary. Other other than getting to see all these people themselves talking about it, I don't think there's a lot of new information here that people mm-hmm. gotcha. Um, I would right. give this as a rating, probably like a five. Okay. But I think it's I think it's worth a rental. And I again I own the Blu-ray or I own the DVD now and I don't necessarily regret it because it's a nice reference material but it's not like a run out and watch this movie right yeah and i see it's um it's one of those where you get it on disc from amazon but you can't stream it presently looks like okay it's all right well that sounds good so that's going to pieces the rise and fall of the slasher film from 2006 and uh josh says it's a uh a five out of ten calls it a rental all right and uh Josh, before we move into our PSA for the evening, did you want to talk about the Monster Project, or are we saving that for the future? Well, it sounds like Dave wants to watch it, so we yeah, can I'd save like that to. I do definitely want to. Okay, all right, that'll be coming up then. So, um, 
a pretty common part of our episode now. At the very end, we like to slip in a little public service announcement. And I have a, a two cents about this one as well, Wolfman Josh. And it's Dave Made a Maze. Yeah. And, you know, again, I'm not necessarily saying people cannot count this for their list. This is one I'm struggling with because I had initially, based on Dino's recommendation, intended to watch this for my horror list. And um, after I watched it, I thought, well, it's not really very horror at all. There's some gore. Yeah, Dino. And there is (laughs) um, kind of a, there's a very creepy horror-esque scene but for the most part, it has the feel of kind of a fantasy adventure is what I would call it. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and delivered in kind of a Michel Gondry way, maybe a mix between be kind of rewind and the um, science of sleep. Well, That's kind said. of what this feels like. Agreed. And it's fun. I mean, it's a blast. And I think it's a really well-made independent film. It's directed by Bill Watterson and it's, got such a level of detail like part of me wants to include it in our horror list because i think this would be a great option for horror cinema awards when it comes to art direction and set design there's nothing i've ever seen really that's like this that's and true it's on a scale that's extremely impressive and just like wow this is a cool fantasy world but yeah this is a very borderline for me and i, I have a hard time considering this horror i am going to try to watch it one more time before i make my year-end list because i i know some people like dino are, are calling it horror so yeah um well it, it listed as horror on imdb it has it uh, as adventure <laughs> first then comedy then horror mm-hmm. so how would you how would you categorize this uh, well i know the dino's over the moon about this film he loves it he loves it hard but the thing is, and I love Dino, everybody knows that, but I, I vehemently disagree. I reject this as a horror film. And um, because, you know, the uh, quote unquote gore is is not actual gore, right? It's a representation of gore, which is really funny, right? And, and so there's right. there's that, which which one could argue in a very neat film theory kind of way the the gore that we see in a traditional horror film isn't actual gore either. Yeah, it's a representation right. of gore. So I, I don't know that it's less. Just, I mean, in one on one hand, it gets a chuckle out of you after a while, but they really disturbed me the first time we see gore in this film. I was see, like, what <laughs> that is freaky. Not me, not me though, because like, and I see what you're saying because it is very admirable and and endearing. Really, is what it is. It's a charming little film, but like because. Within this maze world, which is like cardboard and paper and and so forth, you know the. So let's goal- just give the premise really quick. Yeah, Nick yeah. Thune, who's a stand-up comedian, has be- begin to build a maze in his living room out of refrigerator boxes, and his girlfriend, who's been gone for the weekend, comes home to find that he's been working on this maze in their living room for the entire weekend, and has found that he's be- he's become lost. He can't find his way out of the mace. <laughs> and so she says, well, can I just tear it apart? It's cardboard. No, no, don't do it. I want to finish this maze, you know, and classic you horror sense. right there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> just- and, and you even get the sense that he could die if she tears it apart. You know, it's, I mean, it's a fantasy premise, you know, but <sighs> so she, so they eventually decide they have to go in and look for him in this maze. And it, you know, inside 
it gets a lot bigger than the outside. So from the outside, it looks like it's like eight feet by four feet. You right. know? <laughs> right. When they get inside, it's an entire world. And he's, yes. you know, completely lost within it. it so again, very science of sleep kind of mm-hmm. vibe. Yeah, it's quirky, it's fun, and I agree with you 100%. The set, like, the production design and everything on this is just astounding. It's incredible, and it would it would deserve an award for that. And by the way, the um, Bill Watterson, the director and co-writer for this, is not Bill Watterson of Calvin and Hobbes fame, just so right. people know. <laughs> so make that clear. He's, he's a character actor. Yeah, yeah, but but yeah, this is it's definitely a fun movie, but for me, not horror. But it's, it 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 sounds like Josh that we both can agree that there's a lot to appreciate here, and I bet you it makes Dino's top ten list somewhere, right? I I mean from the sounds of things, because he yeah, loved right. it quite a bit. I mean, I can see this falling in my top twenty, one hundred percent in in all genres, and yeah, it's just one of thinking, is this horror or not horror? I guess. I I don't know. I mean, it, what I will say is it doesn't pass the sniff test for horror. Like it doesn't feel like horror, Mm-mm. you know, but there are, I think there are, like you say, kind of academic reasons you could argue <laughs> for. And uh, that'd be uh, funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, for me, it's about tone, you know, like well, that's, what I, that's what I mean by the sniff test. Right. Right. Like- that's true. But Dave, I will say, to Dr. Shock here, who likes to kind of mm-hmm. keep a collection on hand of cinematic oddities and like the most bizarre movies. This is a very bizarre film. And I think that this sounds, is, it, it sounds interesting. It's almost <laughs> like you were saying like Michelle Gondry, but do you think almost like a, is it like in a Charlie Kaufman esque type of uh, uh movie too? Or yeah. I mean, well, you know, Charlie Kaufman wrote half of Michelle Gondry's movies. So I would say, yeah, it feels more like the, Michelle Gondry movies that Charlie Kaufman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Like eternal sunshine. And the, yeah. okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely interested. I, I'm, I'm, I want to check it out. Um, and I'm also interested to check out the comments for this episode. Cause I, I'm going to count how many times uh, people bring up no escape to you, Jay. Well, no, I want uh, them to, I, I want anybody, anybody and everybody who calls Dave made a maze. If you call that horror, then I, I throw no escape right back at you. So I'm just saying. <laughs> so yeah, there you have it. <laughs> it's way scarier than this. Anyways, Dave Becker, I believe you yeah, have some. On. Wait, mm-hmm. you cannot end on it's way scarier because scary is not the measure by which. No escape? Would... No, I'm saying <laughs> just being scary isn't what makes it a horror movie. That's true, but I, but it is safe to say that no escape is scarier than Dave made a maze to be sure. Yes. Okay. Yes. Fair enough. All right. So Dave Becker, I believe you have some very sad news about one of your all time favorite filmmakers, well, favorite films. I don't know about that, but uh, yes, I do. I it just came over a couple hours ago, right before we started recording that um, Conrad Brooks had passed away. Um, for listeners of this podcast, um, you'll remember <laughs> He is the writer director of Jean Gale, uh, and or Jean Gale, well, the whole Jean Gale trilogy, Jean I Gale. guess. Yeah, the Beast uh, from the, the East. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Beast from the East uh, of uh, West Virginia. Oh no, he was. I think he ended up in West Virginia. Um, <laughs> Always but, gonna go back uh, to West Virginia, don't you? <laughs> it all, all, it all goes back to West Virginia. Yes. 
Um, but he he did pass away uh, today. I think he was 86 years old. And a lot of people remember him. He was an actor. Um, he appeared in uh, uh, Ed Wood's, I guess, most infamous films, Glenn or Glenda, um, Bride of the Monster, uh, which is actually the best Ed Wood film. And I have to I have to sort of put best in quotes there because there's no great Ed Wood film. But I think, <laughs> you know, Bride of the Monster, if he had one movie that I think he'd want to be remembered for. I know that in, in, in Ed Wood, Johnny Depp says it's plan nine, but I think it's, you know, he'd probably, I think, more want to be known for Bride of the Monster. Still not a good movie, but the best Ed Wood movie I think we were going to get. And, of course, Plan 9 from Outer Space, the infamous uh, Plan 9. Mm -hmm. uh, Conrad Brooks appeared in that. He actually is a character in 1994's Ed Wood. He is, um, I'm, I can't remember the actor who plays him, but he's the one who goes up and asks Martin Landau's Lugosi for an autograph and says his favorite movie was The Invisible Ray, where he was Karloff's sidekick, <laughs> which sort of sends Martin Landau off on a tirade. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, he, he passed away. I don't have any details. Um, his IMDb page hasn't even been updated yet, uh, but it looks like he passed away at the age of 86, um, either today or yesterday. Wow. Well, that's always sad to lose a, a filmmaker, especially... Uh, one like this, but yeah, Jan Gell, that gave us a lot of of happiness, didn't it, Dave? We got a lot of mileage out of that stupid little movie, didn't we? I we, mean, we, <laughs> we, got, we got a couple episodes out of that thing, I think. We did, we did. And now, people, if you haven't looked that up on IMDb, it's spelled J-A-N hyphen G-E-L. And look at the cover for Jan Gell, the beast from the east from that 1999. Was, that was, the lesson for me there was not to have too much beer prior to uh, <laughs> purchasing a movie. Uh, we, discussing a purchasing movie. we bought it online live as we were recording the podcast and yeah, I, I got in trouble. We're going to review it. Yep. I got in trouble for that, but that's all right. <laughs> so anyways, thank you for that update. And uh, uh, Wolfman Josh, I believe you have some news for us as well. Well, I just wanted to talk about the Toxic Avenger movie that there was news this last week that Kevin Smith had passed on directing a Toxic Avenger reboot. And I thought that was interesting in and of itself that he was considering it. And after reading his response, it makes sense. He grew up in New Jersey, you know, so trauma was always kind of at the forefront as he was growing up as kind of the local indie guys who were making movies. And, you know, we know he's a fan of kind of schlocky horror movies. He, after I just recently rewatched Tusk and yoga hosers and he talks about how full moon features was a big influence on him when he was making yoga hosers. And you can see that actually, if you look back at the film with that in, in mind. And so he actually, I wondered if his sensibilities were maybe right on point to do a toxic Avenger movie. And after hearing about why he turned down the film, I think, I think he was, I think he was the right guy to do it because he says the reason he didn't do it was because the studio wanted to make a big budget like Marvel style film. And he just said, no, that's not what oh, this should be. Forget it. Forget yeah. it. Are you kidding me? Wow. Yeah, that, that wouldn't, that, that would be a big mistake. Do you know why I, I tell you right now, I bet you guardians of the galaxy was like, you know, something like that was probably 
part of the inspiration there. It's like, oh, they make well, a ton James of money. Gunn, James Gunn had worked a lot with Troma. I mean, he mm. did Tromeo and Juliet and, yeah. you know, things like that. So I don't, I don't know that that's a possibility. You're right, Jay. I mean, maybe they're looking at that and saying, hey, um, but interesting how James Gunn's not not picking up the torch and run it with it for the uh <laughs> I don't think Gunn's gonna do that at the stage of his no. career. But you know, we got we got Slither and that's kind of a a, a big budget trauma movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. To yes. some degree. I mean as a and even you know, even probably a even had Lloyd, even gave Lloyd Kaufman a cameo in the first Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, yeah. in that prison mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. He hasn't he hasn't forgotten his roots. Mm-hmm. But I don't see him making the Toxic Avenger. Either. No, 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 no way. No but this way. is interesting. So Kevin Smith says, um, you know, I don't really live in that world anymore where I have to sit down with people that have a corporate interest in the projects that I'm making. He says, I'm in the walrus movie phase of my career. <laughs> but uh, he says, you know, I, he was a fan of Toxie and thought well you know what i'll go down that rabbit hole and see what it's all about and he said we parted ways fundamentally on the budget because i was just like part of the charm of the toxic avengers that was made for two nickels you're gonna do it don't spend a lot of money but they were like no 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 it's a 35 million dollar movie and i was like it's an effing remake of the toxic avenger the guy in the tutu <laughs> with the bad makeup job what are you gonna spend all the money on oh so right my goodness then and there i'm clearly not on the same page in my head, if I need to see a Toxic Avenger remake, it should be done in the spirit of the original. Instead, they were literally yeah. trying to start a franchise, marvelize it. And I'm like, no, I don't I don't know if you guys saw that movie. <laughs> so no. I just quietly stepped away. That wow, that yeah, that's very interesting. And that obviously, yeah. I mean, you, you look at the Toxic Avenger, the first one, I mean, it is a straight up it's a trauma. That's what put trauma on the map, obviously. I think that's yeah. the one that that sort of um, uh, everybody thinks about when they think of trauma. Um, but y- you look at the movie and it's, it's basically, it's comedy. It's, it's, it's zaniness. It's, it's doing things that, you know, are going to shock the hell out of people. Like, like the scene where they shoot a, a, a blind guide dog. Uh, you know, the, it's one of, it's just one of those crazy sort of movies. I don't, I don't see. And, and so they're picturing like a whole, franchise of these are they going to try and do a universe and and get the the creature from class of newcomb high involved i mean what are they are they going to get the grandmother from from uh surf nazis must die i mean how are they going to do this yeah i don't know man. good questions all good questions so on the other end of the spectrum the other just bit of news i want to talk about was all of the awards that genre films are getting right now and how horror is actually on the map for the first time in a very long time for awards season. Yes. You know, I guess we all kind of hoped that the witch would be, but man, they are actually winning awards. Jody, you know, who's a friend of the show, Jody horror guy on Twitter. Mm-hmm. He's been tallying up all of the awards that, you know, that films have been getting. And he's, he said, after critics choice, the Annie's, the Gotham awards, ISA, LAFCA and New York FCC, the top seven highest nominated films are one, call me your name, two and three, Lady Bird and the Shape of Water, four, Get Out, five and six, three billboards, and the Florida Project, seven, I Tanya. So within that, you have at least the Shape of Water, which has had 19 award win or wow. nominations already, mm-hmm. and Get Out, which has had 17 award nominations. Nice. I'll, I'll tell you shocking. what. 
It is, and I there's a site that I check out around this time. Um, uh, the gentleman's name is Nathan. It's thefilmexperience.net, and I take a look at. He sort of tracks the buzz um, and doing it with these awards, and he takes a look at um, possible nominations, and he says this one's trending. This one's losing steam and, and whatnot. And a lot of times he's spot on, you know, with, with the bigger nominations. He has both The Shape of Water and Get Out as Best Picture nominees, but also um, uh, for Best Director, both films. Of the five, he has both of them up for Best Director as well. Mm. That's nuts. Interesting. And uh, New York Times Magazine just released their kind of annual, you know, movie award season film thing it's like the greatest performances issue mm-hmm. and the cover says the year of horror and it's um that that's interesting as well the, the- mm-hmm. it's getting me excited for the horror cinema awards <laughs> right mm-hmm. <laughs> and then just lastly indie wire released a oscars 2018 article that says um genre films are major oscar contenders this year and they have a lot of genre films here you know from science fiction with blade runner and and whatever else but you know it's they have listed among them the shape of water get out and it mm-hmm. yes among contenders so oh, nice. i'm glad it is in there i think it yeah. deserves to be personally that's great that's so all good news then, guys. I mean, I think that's fantastic. Looking up for horror, I'm telling you. Maybe earn some respect around here, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of me like, is kind of annoyed by it, to be honest. That like, you know, and I, I tweeted this from the HMP account, like, hey, horror industry, like, horror was also strong in 2016, 2015, 2014. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. This isn't the yeah. first time that horror's had a good year, but I mean, uh, you could have made it. You definitely made a case for some movies last year. Uh, getting those nominations. Yeah. Man, the whaling, but the fact, yeah, but the fact that they're, that they are taking notice, I, you know, I think that's encouraging because, you know, there is that spite factor that you're talking about Wolfman. But I also think, that if, you know, if the filmmaking, you know, the production companies, the studios, if they feel like there's a lot of uh, dough in horror, then, um, you know, we could be seeing a lot more wide releases, a lot more horror films coming out. So, a little more budget with horror. I mean, good and bad. Good, it's interesting. Good and bad, because when you get the big money with studios, they're mo- looking, you know, a lot of times they're looking for reboots and, mm-hmm. and remakes. They also and make the like wrong that. movies because they yeah. don't get what's special about them but that's if they true. follow you know what they did with it that's great that's mm-hmm. great news from you know, us and i think even following Definitely. the blumhouse model which has kind of replaced the old mini majors model of miramax and those films where you have an independent film company that if they feel like they've got a hit on their hands they give it to universal to distribute and you know and if they don't they just distribute it themselves digitally and that's a great model where they are only distributing on a wide scale the films they really feel like are going to hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. An interesting business model. Yeah, it is interesting. Okay, well, we'll, we'll be watching that with with interest here over the, the coming weeks. So it's 
it's getting it's getting interesting. And everybody remember when you're um, looking at your 2017 horror reviews and what you liked most, our uh, deadline for submission there is December 27th. We'd love to hear from you. All right. Anything else before we wrap up the show? It's about time to call it a night. I just want to give the official rules to enter our contests for our Christmas episode. We will be giving away all of these prizes on the very next episode of Horror Movie Podcast. So to remind people, we have two copies of Hell House LLC the DVD. For that one, you're going to want to uh, follow Found Footage Critic on Twitter as well as Horror Movie Podcast on Twitter and retweet the tweet about the giveaway. We also have a some stickers from Ghoulish Gary. And Gary's got a new book coming out that features all of his Mondo art, which is really cool. I'd recommend people check out. And we will have, basically what we'll do is we'll create specific posts about each of these things. And to enter each contest, you just retweet that tweet, right? And follow the people involved. So if it's Ghoulish Gary, follow him. Follow HMP and retweet the tweet. If you want the Hell House DVDs, you know, follow and retweet. And we're going to have that for those two. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to be drawing for the Friday the 13th uh, Blu-ray and the Monster House DVD from those people who retweeted our Thanksgiving episode tweets. Mm-hmm. And then we have a Fright Rags t-shirt. And like I said, I hopefully a Scream Factory Blu-ray of the new Silent Night, Deadly Night release. And if we get those happening, it will be the same thing. So follow and retweet. And then we will have one more special prize that we're going to be giving away. Um, These are pins that listener Juan is sending us that he purchased for us down at Fantastic Fest to give away. <laughs> so thank you to Juan. Mm. And those are going to come from people who have written us reviews on iTunes. Nice. So that's just a reminder, you know, your subscription and reviews on iTunes really help us with visibility. Of course, we appreciate a five-star review. I expect nothing less, but <laughs> right. uh, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have left a five-star review in order <laughs> to qualify for the drawing. Um, and we will just draw some names from people who have left, left us reviews there to give those pins to. So thank you to Juan for mm-hmm. buying those for our community. And sorry, one last thing. <laughs> we have some brand new horror movie podcast t-shirts that are designed by the fans for the fans. Mm-hmm. Peter Strain and Armored Foe. And we also have a new one from Sharon Rowan, who is... William Rowan, the destroyers wife. She did some really cool shirts inspired by it. And uh, the 2017, it, if you're familiar oh, nice. with yeah. uh, how, uh, you know, Eddie breaks his arm there and, and the, the loser club. Yes. The loser club thing. Awesome. And he changes it to lover. Right. Um, right. Sharon's made some awesome shirts that, uh, <laughs> that have that loser lover logo on them. I saw those. Those are great. Cool. Yeah, yeah, they're really cool. Nice. So you can find all of those um, online to buy, but we will also be giving away one of those shirts at uh, on the Christmas episode, and and it will be a secret how we're deciding. Yes. That one. 
but stay, <laughs> but but stay tuned for that. And and also just to give a shout out to Slashly G, who's one of our longtime listeners. Mm-hmm. She's so cool. She loved our new shirt designs that the listeners made, and she said, "I like these so much. I'm going to buy some for two other listeners." And so what she did is she <laughs> did a little contest on Twitter that said, "If you can guess what my top three movies are for 2017." You know, the people who get closest, the first two people get closest, will I'll buy them a HMP shirt. And she did, you know, she did. <laughs> it's amazing, right? So that's amazing that she did that. Really missing out if that's they're not awesome. on Twitter and yeah, following really HMP. <laughs> Seriously. That's a, that was a, that was a great gesture. Yeah. It really was. When I saw when I saw that, I'm like, I cannot believe that. That is so generous and kind of her. So thank you, slash Lee G. So don't miss out. Follow HMP on Twitter. Um all the cool kids are doing it and they're all getting free t-shirts out of it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. A- anything else, Wolfman Josh? You're so good at this administrative I, I business. Think I think right. that's everything. It's a lot of stuff to get through, but I promise uh, for those people who win the stuff on, on Christmas, it will be worth it because they are some cool gifts. Yeah, for certain. All right, then. I think that wraps up episode 135 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you all for listening and hanging with us. We really appreciate you. Um, And, you know, remember, the very next episode coming up, episode 136, is our Christmas Horror 2017 episode. Make sure you're here for that. And then the one following that is our top 10 horror movies of 2017. Um... And I tell you what won't be on my list. Dave made a maze. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just, I'm just messing with Dino. Because you guys, here's the thing. You don't understand how often Dino comes after me. So he, he deserves every bit of that. I'm just saying. I love him. but Just, just Dino. Only Dino. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. There's a whole list, actually, of people. But anyway, that's his for tonight. Anyways, uh, Dr. Shock. Please let the listeners know where they can catch up with more of you on the internet. Absolutely. DVDinfatuation.com. Um, the at DVD Infatuation on Twitter. Uh, Facebook page as well and on Instagram. Um, I do have a letterboxed account that I have not updated in a couple months. And I hope to get back to updating that uh, once I roll back into the 2017 films very shortly. Uh, and of course, uh, other podcasts, uh, the land of the creeps, um, with Greg Amortis and, uh, Haddonfield Hatchet and also the, um, we deal in lead podcast. We're getting ready to uh, record our next episode, uh, very shortly. Um, and that's on the network here. So check that out as well. And of course the universal monsters cast. Um, where we just, uh, I think we just posted Josh about the, uh, the, the last of the universal mummies, uh, universal original mummy series. Mm-hmm. Um, we just posted our, uh, our reviews of those. Would you uh, say, Mark. sorry, would you say you're wrapping it up, Dave? Uh, <laughs> yes, I would say that, uh, if, if I was so inclined to do so, but I, I will, I will leave you to that, Jay. Okay. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and, uh, uh, so, but the mummy, yeah, the mummy is uh, getting uh, towards the end. We're finally uh, getting towards the end of the mummy. We got a little bit more to do yet um, before we move on to uh, to the next monster uh, or the next franchise, I guess, so to speak. Um, which uh, which is great. And there's a lot going on over there as well. So definitely check them out and 
um, you know, comment and leave uh, leave reviews on iTunes for those as well. Mm-hmm. That's great. And what about you, Wolfman Josh? Yeah, I would just second what Dave said. Check out Universal Monsters cast. Um, I think it's been a lot of fun. You know, Kagan, who did the you know the soundtrack for the beginning of horror movie podcast, the theme song. Mm-hmm. Um, he does some music segments on Universal Monsters cast, which are and they're great, awesome. Yeah. They're, they're really so good. I mean, they're good. very strong. Sometimes I'm with him on them, but most of the time, just because you know we run out of time recording, he'll record those as little solo casts. So I always look forward to hearing the episode and hearing his little music segment. And right. He did the one on the last one we covered, the Mummy's Ghost and the Mummy's Curse, both from 1944. And he did a great little music segment on there. I, I really enjoyed it. So I'd recommend people check that out for sure. Also, uh, moviestreamcast.com. And I'm on social media at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Icarus Arts, and Letterboxd. I'm something else, but I think if you search Icarus Arts, you'll find me still. And um, I, I did pretty good at logging my 2017 films. The biggest problem was I forgot until like March. So I had to try to just do the early ones out of memory. But in 2018, I'm going to log every single movie I watch on Letterboxd. So that's that's fun, actually. I, I quite yeah. enjoyed Letterboxd. Letterboxd is, is fun. And I want to get I'm looking forward to get back into that. Um, are you afraid that it might uh, remove a surprise of a top 10 with uh, are you rating these movies? Or are you just um, listening? I, to I, 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 I don't rate the horror films until after we review them on the show so oh, okay. I log I log them in my diary but I don't put my rating up until after we review them on HMP and then I usually link to the episode in my reviews as well nice I, that, and, that's a good idea okay and then I keep my list my year endless private until after we do it on the show as well so I do have my my running list going for my top 10 but I don't <laughs> have that <laughs> serious business very cool yes <laughs> that's serious. That's excellent. I love it. And uh, I guess I got a very bizarre plug, but I got to give a shout out here. So it's gift giving season, and this is a great idea. I don't like board games typically. I think they're boring usually. But uh, recently, I had the the very distinct pleasure to play uh, the, this particular board game with Wolfman Josh and his sweetheart and Matroid and. Uh, the bride station and um let me see who else was there we had cody clark there right and uh yep yeah i mean it was a great crew and my my wife was there we played a game called code names and josh Mm -hmm. i just gotta tell you we are obsessed with that game after doing that we bought it and we've been like playing it with everyone and it it is (laughs) so much fun and and i think of you all fondly when we play it so thanks for introducing me to that I would uh, like to recommend code names to people out there. Oh, if you need cool. A- well, I, I I would like to, as long as we're recommending board games. <laughs> <laughs> there's a there's a, a new board game out by Mondo that I I asked for for Christmas. That I'm super excited about. It's called The Thing Infection at Outpost Thirty One, and uh, I think I'm mm. think I'm getting that for Christmas. But man, uh, yeah, it looks awesome. That's it looks so really cool. cool. Yeah, so I'd recommend people check out the thing Infection at Outpost 31. And also Mixtape Massacre, if people are unfamiliar with that. That's another, that's a really fun horror horror (laughs) game. 
Let me just nice. let me just warn the listeners about something though. If you ever play board games with Josh, <laughs> this is so funny. His wife, he got in so much trouble for uh, she called it cheating <laughs> at the board game <laughs> because he is very very um, competitive and and sly <laughs> and sneaky and and it was great. I actually learned a lot of tips from you, Josh, during that. So, anyways. Really? What? Wait. What are you referring to? The, well, during code names, because the cheating is that, is that well, what are you when to? when you're when you're the spy master in code names, you have to have a poker face, as they say, oh. and you can't say much. Um, but but Josh throws out little phrases and expressions, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, so, no, I will say that's not intentional. I'm just really bad at having a poker face. Okay. <laughs> So, so also play cards, play play poker with Josh. Play you'll, poker with me. You'll you'll do very well. Anyways, uh, so for uh, the, my little sister show project, that goofy one, movie podcast weekly. It sounds like maybe maybe Josh will be joining us over there for our top ten list. Very excited about that. It's the top ten movies of 2017, where we will uh, find out what our bemoti is, best movie of the year. And that's going to come out uh, sometime in the first week of January as well. But so there's that. It's coming up. And also before that, we're going to be reviewing uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi here. And uh, just very soon now. So anyway, that's Movie Podcast Weekly. And of course, we have many shows, as we've said many times. Um, You can check them out at moviepodcast.network. We love your comments. So make sure you get involved in the horror movie podcast community. You can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 135, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And you can find all of our episodes, including the back archives for the weekly Horror Movie Podcast, as well as Horror Metropolis, at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. And something very cool that we just added, thanks to uh, Blueberry Power Press. If you look at our website at horrormoviepodcast.com, you will see there in the navigation bar um, a little section that's called uh, HMP Podcast Archive. I haven't named it yet. But anyways, when you click on that, and this is your reward for staying through the credits, right? You can learn about this. You can see a very convenient list of all of the episodes that we have released on this show. You can like have a bird's eye view and see really quickly which episodes we covered when and so forth. And so I think that'll be really enjoyable for you. I love this feature. And so make sure you check that out at horrormoviepodcast.com and just click on the nav bar there. It's probably like HMP Archive is probably what I'll name it. Anyways, you can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. We're also on Instagram. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. We also want to thank... Hagen Breitenbach, the aforementioned man, in his classical reworking of Fred's original theme. You can find more of Kagan's work at kaganbreitenbach.com. Those will be linked in the show notes for episode 135. And I think that's it. And so we thank you for listening and join us again Friday after next for our Christmas horror episode of Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. <laughs>